This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Are you happy to be in the presence of the Lord? You know, I understood why David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because we serve a God who knows our name. Now, I'll be honest, you're probably lucky that I'm not God because I remember faces, but I don't necessarily always remember names. But we serve a God who has the billions and billions of people on the earth, and he knows each and every name. I wanna say thank you to the praise team and, and the musicians, my cousin Claude, um, I, I think sometimes because you're in plantation, you take the worship for granted. It's not like this everywhere. So I want you to do something for me because the musicians are always the people, the praise team who get the least appreciation. I, I want you to give them a round the amen and clap for them. And when you see them, tell them, thank you for your worship. It's an important part of the service. And if you get a chance to visit to other places, you'll understand what I mean. It's not like this everywhere. But let's get to the word of God. I, I wanna thank, before I do that, I wanna thank my, my friend and my colleague, Pastor Rose. It is when you're in a tough situation that you learn who your friends are. There are some people who are friends only in the sunshine. But when you find a friend who is there in the sunshine and who's still there when it rains, you have a true friend. So, Pastor Rose, I thank you for your friendship. But let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. I was told that the theme is the struggle continues. And so since this is the last Sabbath of Black History Month, and it, it's unfortunate because we only have one month, even though we're black all year long. And they gave us the shortest month of the year. But we're gonna deal with, this, with the topic, the day the struggle ends. The day the struggle ends, Revelation chapter seven, verses 9 to 11. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. The day the struggle ends. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father and our God. We need a word from you, and I'm not sure if I'm equipped to do it, but you chose me anyway. So I ask, Lord, that you speak through me, that you put the thoughts in my head, so that when all is said and done, everyone can testify that you have spoken. Hear us as we pray, and all we ask is that at the end of it all, we can say with certitude, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place. This we pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, 
Amen. Now, I recently heard a story about a well-known seminary professor. He is at Fuller Theological Seminary, and his name is Dr. Hak Jun Lee. Dr. Lee is said to be one of the foremost authorities on the ethics and theology of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so as he thought, taught his ethics class on Dr. King, on, he was going over his syllabus on the first day of class and one of the students as they listened perceived that what they thought to be a gaping omission in the course content. The student asked, Dr. Lee, are we also going to discuss the improprieties of Dr. King? After all, this is an ethics class and his improprieties are a part of public record. And Dr. Lee graciously responded saying, as with every human being, there are many layers to Dr. King and we're going to dig into as many as we can. And he continued to finish the review of his syllabus. And then he began a lecture that set the tone for how they'd evaluate the content for the rest of the quarter. That lecture was called The Art of Traditioning. And Dr. Lee said this, he said, in order for a tradition to take hold, there are five things that must be in place. A formative narrative, a celebration of that narrative, governing laws and values, a way to disseminate the information concer concerning those governing laws and values, and a way to practice the governing laws and values. For example, he said, let's take our Jewish brothers and sisters. What is their formative narrative? The class replied, the Exodus story. What is the celebration of that formative narrative? They answered, the Passover. What are the governing laws and values of our Jewish brothers and sisters? They answered, the Torah, the Pentateuch, and the Ten Commandments. Very good. How do they disseminate that information? And the class responded, Jewish schools. Finally, he says, how do they practice their governing laws and values? And the class answered, they live in community and they support each other. He says, that's good. Let's take Americans. What is the formative narrative for Americans? The class all said independence from Britain. What is the celebration of that formative narrative? They responded Independence Day or 4th of July. He went on to continue saying, what are the governing values and laws for Americans? The class answered the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. How do they disseminate information concerning their governing laws and values? And the class all said, the public school system. Then he said, how do they practice their governing laws and values? And the responses became a little less confident as people gave different answers. They spoke about servant leadership. The, they, they mentioned the three branches of govern, government. However, none of the answers were as forceful as the answers for the previous example. So then Dr. Lee said, let's discuss African-Americans. He says, what is the formative narrative for African-Americans? And the class became very quiet. One person said, is it the civil rights movement? Another said, is it the transatlantic slave trade? And someone else said, it's our West African ancestral roots.
but the class remained quiet and there was no real consensus from the class as to what was the right answer. They continued answering the rest of the questions, but they were mostly quiet. And then Dr. Lee let the class sit quietly for a moment, and he said something I want you all to remember. He said, if you don't know your formative narrative, you will adopt someone else's story where the heroes look like them and the villains look like you. This is the reason why the struggle continues in the black community. Many blacks are not clear as to what is their formative narrative, so they try as hard as they can to be white. And that's one of the reasons why the struggle continues. And it's unfortunate, but many of us have adopted a formative narrative that leads to the belief that unless something comes from or is approved by the white community, it is wrong. And there are many examples in our language where being white is associated with positive things and black is associated with negative things. You might say, Pastor, I don't believe you. Let me give you some examples. I play chess. And in the game of chess, if you're a player playing with the white pieces, you're thought to be on the good side. If you're playing with the black pieces, you're said to be on the bad side. In comic books and in superhero movies, the hero is generally attired in white or they're dressed in brightly colored outfit. However, the villain always wears black or is attired in dark clothing. In baking, a white spongy cake is called an angel food cake. While a dark chocolate-based cake is called a devil's food cake. In most cultures, the bride traditionally wears a white wedding gown, which symbolizes purity and innocence. Meanwhile, if you wore a black dress to a wedding as the bride, it would be considered inappropriate, as black is associated with death, mourning, and sadness. When you read literature, white doves and swans are often used as symbols of love and purity, while if they want to portray evil, darkness, and death, they use black animals like black cats, ravens, and crows. If you're gloomy and depressed, you're said to have a black cloud over your head. Black lies are deemed harmful and inexcusable. Black deeds are seen as evil and wicked. And if you're going to do magic, do white magic. Because black magic has to do with witchcraft and is used for evil. And even the devil is called the prince of darkness. We live in a world where things white are given preference and value, where a formative narrative exists associating whiteness with power and privilege, authority, purity, innocence, and goodness, while blackness is associated with darkness, evil, negativity, and sinister things. It is this formative narrative that explains why so many black unarmed young men are killed by the police. They state that they are afraid for their lives. While somehow they're not afraid for their lives when they encounter white assault weapon shooting mass shooters. And if those mass shooters don't kill themselves, they're usually arrested alive. It's the formative narrative. 
And so the struggle continues as we live in a world where blacks and whites receive disparate treatment in the world and in the criminal justice system. I read the Washington Post. There was an article entitled, Black men sentenced to more crime for, com for, for to more time for committing the same the exact same crime as a white person studies find. Because of this formative narrative, we live in a world where blacks are stopped and frisked more than whites, where blacks are arrested more than whites where blacks are sentenced in higher numbers and receive longer and harsher penalties more than whites. This is why the struggle continues. We live in a world where white people respond to those red and blue flashing lights differently than black people. Because when a black man sees that, his stress rises, his anxiety rises, and he wonders if this is the last day of my life. But church, this is not how it was in the beginning. When God created the Garden of Eden, he did not create us under this current formative narrative. The Bible tells us that God created us in his image, both male and female. So if anyone ever asks what your formative narrative is, tell them I'm a descendant of humans placed on the earth that were created in the image of God. Now, I don't care what they think about me. I care what God thinks about me. They might look at my color and see I'm a criminal, but God looks at me and see I'm his child. They, they might not like my kinky hair, but I've learned that black is beautiful. When I go to the beach, I don't have to worry about being sunburned. And, and I like the fact that black don't crack. Now, for those of you who are black, that refers who aren't black. That refers to the fact that many times black people don't look their age, and we age well. There are certain things inherent in what God has placed in us that we ought not let the formative narrative change us. Don't be afraid to let your hair be natural. God made you that way. You don't have to be light-skinned in order to be loved by God. God loves black people as much as he loves everybody else. But the formative narrative that we've been given has taught us to look down at who we are when the truth is you ought to love yourself because before you were born, God knew who you were. He knew your name before your parents even named you. So therefore, you are somebody special. If you have a mirror, open it up and look at it and say, my, 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 don't you look good. You know, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. And, and I do that all the time because people are not going to tell me. Sometimes I walk by a mirror and I say, man, don't you look good today? Because if you're not going to do it for me, I'm going to do it for myself. But here's the problem. Because of this formative narrative, many of us have allowed ourselves to live according to that narrative and we are not who we can be. The truth is, here's the truth, when you're black, you have to be twice as good. You have to be twice as smart. So stop getting to work late. If you start work at 8 o'clock, be there at 7.30. Don't half step on what you have to do. Because the mediocre white person will get more than the... Just look at Trump and Obama. If you can't say amen, just say ouch. 
there is an expectation that you're stupid. There is an expectation that you're a criminal. There is an expectation that you are not as good. But even though they say that most black men will go to jail, I've never gone to jail. Even though they say most black men don't care about education, I have a bachelor's degree, two master's degrees, and I'm about to finish my doctorate. You are not what the narrative says you are. You are what God says you are. And God says you're something special. You're a chosen person. Even if your mama and daddy didn't expect you and they called you the surprise child, you were no surprise to God because God chose you to be here. He's given you a purpose to be here. So live up to that expectation. If you have homework to do it, do your homework. If you have a job to do it, even if it's sweeping, sweep like nobody's business. Don't give them an excuse to stereotype you because you fit the narrative. Because when you do that, it's not on them. It's on you. There are a lot of things that I've got, that I've received in my life. I worked hard to get those things. I don't take those things for granted. I will get to work early. I will stay there later. I will constantly try to perfect my craft. You ought to live in a way that every day you're trying to be a little bit better tomorrow than you were today. And I'm not talking about big changes, just little changes. Because here's the thing, little change on top of little change on top of little change adds up to big change. You know, when, when I started running, and I can't run anymore because I, I hurt my knee, I, I have a knee replacement. I couldn't run three blocks, much less one block. So I started walking. And then I started walking and running, but it was mostly walking. But I found that every single day I was able to run just a little bit further than I did before. And then one day I thought I was Forrest Gump because I started running and I just kept running. Okay, for those of you who are, who are young, you won't get that joke. But it took little steps. It also takes discipline. Discipline means that I do what I have to do even when I don't feel like doing it. There were days even in Florida it was cold but I got up and I ran. There were days it was raining but I got up and I ran. There were days when my body was enjoying the bed, but I got up and I ran. You don't have the luxury as black people of being less than you're capable of. But let's go on. The Bible says that God created us in his image, both male and female. And by the way, archaeological discoveries and a study of the maternal genetic lineage of modern humans led to the identification of the African nation of Botswana as where Eden was probably placed by God. So when God created Eve, and this is true, he created the first Africans. I thought somebody would say amen here. But listen carefully, even though he created them in Africa, 
he did not describe them as black or white. He simply called them Adam. Adam translated in Hebrew means earth or soil. I've never seen white soil anywhere. And in the Jewish tradition, Adam is translated as the son of the red earth. And what I like is that when you read the Bible, when God examined his creation every day, he testified it was good. But on the sixth day, after he created the first Africans, he looked around and said, it was very good. But although they were created in Africa, I don't want you to miss this, God never referred to the color of Adam and Eve. God is not the originator of black or white or red or yellow. When he spoke about a people, he talked about the Amalekites. He talked about the Jebusites. He talked about the Philistines. And we have no idea what color they were because to God, color doesn't matter. God did not originate color. This is something that began in the 17th and 18th centuries due to the need to justify the exploitation and enslavement of Africans. So this idea of white superiority and black inferiority, placing white Europeans at the top and black Africans at the bottom, is a man-made created construct and not a God-given identity. It promotes the idea that whites are superior in intelligence, moral character, and temperament, and they use this racial hierarchy to justify the mistreatment of Africans and the extraction of labor and resources of their homeland and they use it now to justify how blacks are treated. I remember I saw someone on TV who was doing a, a, a race seminar and he asked the question, she did, I'm sorry, she said, how many white people would trade places today with black people. Not one white person raised their hands. And she said, it's because you know the truth about it, but you're not willing to do anything about it because you benefit from it. Whiteness and blackness is also not a biological fact. No matter what color you are, when you bleed, your blood is red. When you receive an organ transplant, you won't be able to tell if that organ came from a black body or a white body. All that will matter to you at that time is does the organ match and do they have the right blood type? But unfortunately, the struggle continues as black people navigate this formative narrative of white superiority and black inferiority that we still live in a time where black parents must have the talk with our black sons. We need to teach them how to act when stopped by police. We live in a time where when our black sons go out, we worry that they might not come home. We still live in a time where people look at the color of black skin and assume that we are criminals and more dangerous than people with white skin. We still live in a time when because of the color of our skin, we're denied opportunities, denied access, and denied the benefit of the doubt. But I'm grateful because there will come a day when the struggle ends. For Jesus told us in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The day will come when Paul says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And the Bible says when that day comes, he will take us to a place where God will dwell among men. He shall tabernacle among us. We shall be his people and God himself will be our God. And this is the part I like. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall be mourning or crying or pain any longer for the former things have passed away. In that place, heartaches and disappointments will no longer exist. In that place, there won't be a need to work to pay for bills. In that place, troubles and trials will be no more. And in that place, the time will come when the racial struggles will end. There will no longer be black or white. We'll just be people standing in the presence of God. And I believe that day takes place in Revelation chapter 7, where John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. On this day, we'll go back to the way it was at creation, when there wasn't any prejudice or racism or sexism. And we will make up an innumerable throng comprised of every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language. And we will stand before the Father at the throne. On this day, blacks' inferiority and white superiority will no longer exist because we'll have a new formative narrative. It won't matter where you were born or what color you were prior to being in heaven. It won't matter if you went to school or where you went to school or how many degrees you have. It won't matter how many zeros you have behind the first number in your bank account or if all you have is zeros or a negative number. It will not matter what you've accomplished because all that will matter when you get to heaven and the only question they will ever ask you is has your robe been washed in the blood of the lamb on the day the struggle ends I want to be there in heaven what about you is there anybody who wants to go to heaven with me let me see you raise your hands you know if you didn't raise your hand I think you were crazy because there's nothing down here that can compare to what we have in heaven. But in order to get to heaven, you need directions. And so when I need directions, I go to my computer and I go to Google. And sure enough, I found directions to the Father's house. Do you want to know how to get to the Father's house today? I guess you don't. Do you want to know how to get to the Father's house today? While you're walking toward heaven, you're going to find a street called Whosoever Believeth Boulevard. 
Make a right turn on that street. Keep straight and you'll get to a first green light and that green light is Jesus Christ. From there you'll find the bridge of faith. Turn on to the bridge of faith. But let me warn you that bridge is over troubled waters. But when you get off the bridge, make a right turn and keep straight. You're on the king's highway and you're heading toward heaven. While you're on king's highway, keep going for three miles. One for the father, one for the son, and one for the Holy Ghost. When you see the exit called Grace Boulevard, get off that exit. From there, make a right turn on Gospel Lane. Keep straight and make another right on Prayer Road. And as you go your way, yield not to the traffic on Temptation Avenue. And also avoid Sin Street because Sin Street only leads to the dead end. There goes your future pianist, Pastor. However, you also have to go through Envy Drive, Hate Avenue, but pass those streets. Also pass Hypocrisy Street, Gossiping Lane, and Backbiting Boulevard. You're almost there in heaven, but before you go, there are some bumpy roads and difficult roads that you must travel. You must go down Long Suffering Lane, Persecution Boulevard, and Trials and Tribulations Avenue. But that's all right, because once you pass those streets, Victory Street is straight ahead. And I need to warn you, because as you get closer to heaven, you'll see the pearly gates. But in front of the pearly gates, there'll be a toll booth. And it's a toll that no man can afford to pay. But don't even slow down and don't stop. Put your foot on the pedal and put the pedal to the metal and keep going forward because when you get there, the toll booth will rise because Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. I want to make it to heaven where the streets are paved with gold. You know, as Adventists, they criticize us for jewelry, but there's going to be a lot of jewelry in heaven. I want to go there. I want to go there. Because in that land, there'll be no more troubles and trials. No more heartaches and disappointments. No more crying. No more dying. No more sickness and no more pain. I want to go there because... When I get there, I'll have a home with no mortgage on it. In fact, I wish Jesus would come now because the first is coming and my mortgage is due. I, I want to go there because the Bible says that in that land we'll never grow old. I'm getting tired of growing old. I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm, I'm 40 years old plus tax. I won't say how much tax, but there's a whole lot of tax on there. But the day will come where I won't grow old. The day will come when I can have hair growing on my head and not a bald spot. The day will come when I won't need to go to a dentist. The, the day will come where I won't be short, but I'll be like, like, like Shaq. Do you want to go there with me? If you go there, the prerequisite is that your robe must be dipped in the blood of the Lamb. It doesn't say you need to be sinless. It doesn't say you need to be perfect. When you get to the gate, you're going to have to answer the question, has your robe been dipped in the blood of the Lamb. 
you know, the Spirit is telling me that there are some people here who have not yet given their lives to Christ. You go to church, but you don't really belong to Christ. And you know who you are because you could fool everyone else, but there's two people you can't fool. You can't fool yourself. Well, actually, you can. But you can't fool God. And I'm going to ask you to simply raise your hands if today where you're at, you want to say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. You don't have to explain anything to anybody. You don't have to tell them why you raise your hand. You're simply committing to say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. Is there anyone who wants to say, Lord, I want to give my life to you? Is there anyone here? God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my little sister. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. You know, the Bible says if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And the minute you give your life to Christ, you begin the walk to salvation. And when you get there, you're going to be able to testify it wasn't about me. It was all about Jesus. So if you raise your hand, we want to pray for you. I'd like to ask if you would just leave your seat for a minute and, and come, and we're going to have Pastor Rose say a prayer. Just, just leave your seat for a moment and, and come. Those who've raised their hands, come on now. Come on. Come on. Don't be shy. The song says, I surrender all. There might be some people who didn't raise their hands. But they too want to say, you know what? I don't want to miss this opportunity to give my life to Jesus. I, I surrender all to him. Who wants to follow the example of this young man? How old are you? Eleven. Well, I was ten when I got baptized, so you're older than me. The truth is, giving your life to Jesus is probably the best thing you'll ever do in your life. And, and a lot of people get it wrong because they assume that when they give their lives to Jesus, it means that everything in their life has to be right. But as the song says, we fall down but we get up for the saints are just sinners who fall down but get back up. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, you'll have a time when you fall down but Jesus will be there to pick you back up. Is there anyone else? Who wants to join these two, this young man and this young woman? Who wants to say all to Jesus, I surrender. I I've tried so many other things and it's left me unsatisfied. Why not try Jesus? I've learned that the longer I, sweet I serve him, the sweeter he grows. So you've tried everything else. Taste and see that Jesus is good. Is there one more person? Because my job is to make the call. Your job is to answer. Is there one more person who wants to say, I want to give my life to Jesus today? One more person. I want to stop, but the Spirit is telling me that someone here is struggling. I don't know if it's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, but as I'm talking, you know I'm talking to you. And the Lord is trying to tell you, trust me. Put your hand in my hand. And I'll be able to change things that you're struggling with that you've been trying to take, for, take care of by yourself. Oh, to Jesus.
God bless you. I surrender all to Him. There's still time. If you're feeling the voice of the Lord speaking with you, don't say no. I just went to the funeral of my friend. Pastor Rose was there. He was 59 years old. There were no illnesses that we knew about. He simply went to sleep and did not get up. And the truth is, if you went to sleep tonight and you did not get up, are you certain that the next time you open your eyes, you'll be among those who are caught up to meet Jesus in the air? If you are not certain about this, then you need to be here. Is there anyone who wants that certainty? To know that no matter what happens to them, their salvation is safe and secure in the hands of Jesus. I'm very troubled because there's someone who is here and they know they ought to be here but they're allowing the devil to convince them that they have time to convince them maybe they're not good enough no matter how far you go you're never too far for God to reach you. No matter how much you've sinned, God's grace is greater than the capacity for you to sin. As soon as this song ends, I'm going to give the mic to Pastor Rose. He's going to pray. Is there one more? You still have time. Don't leave this place without making it right with God. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand together. And even as we're standing, you can still join those who made this step for Jesus. Call an interview that Billy Graham gave years ago regarding his habit of making public calls, public altar calls to Jesus. Billy Graham said that every instance that I've read in Scripture, when Jesus called somebody, he called them publicly. Publicly. Jesus says, if you... If you accept me publicly, I'll be there for you publicly. And so even as I prepare to pray, neighbor, you still can come. Father God, we thank you so much for the word. We thank you for the preacher who was faithful to the word. We celebrate the fact that in Jesus, we are liberated. We thank you that because of Jesus, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of the hue of our skin, that in Jesus, it's whosoever that our destiny has not been decided by our parents that our destiny has not been decided by our place of birth but our destiny 
has been decided by the man who died on Calvary. Decided by the one who rose from the grave. Decided by the one who is coming back again. We thank you for this biblical reality. We celebrate with heaven those who have responded to the call. Those who have stepped out in faith by their actions of saying that I'm accepting Jesus, I'm making this first step towards Him. We thank You that You, Lord, stand ready with Your arms wide open to receive them. And so as we affirm those who've come, we pray for those who are still halting, leaping between two opinions. Even now, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you will speak to that heart. You will speak to that mind. So they can know the joy of full surrender. We leave this place, but never your presence. Rest, remain, and abide with us. Show us your glory. Use us for your glory. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, let everybody say amen. amen. Let somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Let somebody say thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. We thank God for the word. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. We thank God for the word today and the, the preacher who was faithful to the word. Uh, those who came, just uh, you can go with Elder Alex. We want to get some information from you as we encourage uh, your walk. May God bless you as you go. Uh, some of you will be staying behind for various meetings. But may God bless you and use you as a blessing. The praise team is going to lead us out. And of, and of course, as usual, you're, you're, you're welcome to join them as we have our time uh, together. God bless you as you go. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seven-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.